Welcome to the Political R&D Podcast. After you've finished listening, we would really appreciate you taking the time to give us a rating on iTunes and Google Play to help other listeners find our podcast. We are taking Political R&D to the next level. Podcasts will be more frequent, and we are also inviting more writers to share their views of politics in Alberta, Canada, and the world. We'd love it if you would become a patron of the show. Your support will help us improve, increase, and pay for the content you enjoy. You can find us on Patreon at PoliticalRND or link from our website, politicalrnd.ca. Now, let's get political. Welcome back to Political R&D's official launch of Season 2, where we will talk about the government, the policies, the people, and the politics of everything. We'll also continue to debate the merits of naming every episode after a song title. I'm your host, Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. I'm sometimes reporter, oftentimes columnist, and always opinionated, physically distancing in still sunny southern Alberta. Today's episode is called Two Tribes. And it's going to feature some familiar voices to my friends as we discuss two perspectives of Alberta's political landscape. Back in July, Robbie Krieger-Smith and Scott Payne wrote a column about parties to the left of the UCP working together to defeat the UCP. Shortly afterwards, Mark Taylor and myself responded. And that's where we're going to begin. Thank you, Scott, Robbie, and Mark for joining me today. Glad to be back. (laughs) Morning. See, I expected a little more enthusiasm. It's 9 a.m. I was, I was relatively, you know, I, like I'm on it. I, I am in, I'm genuinely glad to be back. Why not? I don't think I've been on this version. But anyhow, I'm glad to see you all again. Yeah, that's true. We were, we were challenged on Twitter to turn this into a lockdown happy hour. Yeah. <laughs> I am always happy to put beans in my coffee. Always. Yeah. <laughs> Especially now that school's back in. It's Alberta. We can get away with it. That absolutely. We don't even have to do the it's noon somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's it's nine true. o'clock here. We're just gonna start drinking. It's nine o'clock in Alberta. <laughs> you don't have to drink to live in Alberta, but it helps. <laughs> and on that note, uh, let's chug your coffee. Yeah. <laughs> let's start with Robbie and Scott. Uh, what was what was the impetus for that collaboration on that post? Like what, what got you guys thinking about that? Yeah, maybe I'll jump in because it's kind of funny. We had the Paul Bunner incident for me was kind of the genesis of this idea. And somebody in the government had shared his previous writings. And obviously the caucus and the UCP had become aware that these were out there and were going to be a potential issue. Um, but there was a, a leaky sieve in the government that thought it should be brought to the attention of other people. So I put it out into the Twitterverse um, and people picked up on it. And it really kind of threw the government off their narrative for a little period of time. It was, I mean, probably about two weeks, but I mean, even up until this week, it's still in the Twitterverse and I guess the mediaverse of AB Ledge. And it got me thinking about how, you know, the UCP has been really effective at trying to drive the narrative and and politics. But when we had people from a diversity of partisan backgrounds all talking about one message, it really focused what the media was talking about, what the public discourse was. And so I had reached out to Scott and I said, you know, why don't we you know, do you think there's an appetite or an opportunity for us to kind of, you know, you're more NDP, I'm historically more Alberta party. If we're talking about the same issues and the things that we think are important in driving the narrative so that the UCP is forced to respond to that, maybe it takes them a little bit off of their policy objectives and things that they're looking to do. And it just happened that Scott was actually working on something like that already. And he said, well, that's actually one the things that I'm doing for my next blog post, why don't we, you know, are you interested in collaborating on that and, uh, and working on that? And I think that there's an opportunity, not for per se formal coalitions, but an opportunity to drive the narrative 
of politics in this province and where we want the province to go. And that can be done without any sort of formal quote unquote alliance or, you know, mergers, that type of stuff and create the conditions for people to understand that the UCP is bad for Alberta and that they need to be looking at alternatives. So Scott, do you want to get into the post? Sure. Yeah. I, um, I had been sort of like flipping around with the idea of something on that topic when uh, when Robbie sent me a note and so I was like oh yeah like I've been thinking about writing about this and it, it occurred to me I mean Robbie's smart guy a um, so I was happy to uh, to collaborate with him but it also like it occurred to me that tackling um, this topic uh, would be more interesting from a reader perspective if you had two people who were sort of like from at least from divergent historical partisan camps Mm -hmm. um, rather than just you know just me prattling on so um, and like in retrospect and sort of getting ready for this morning I think that um, uh, a lot of what we wrote about uh, was like we weren't I don't know that we were proposing anything new frankly like, I think a lot of this was already happening as sort of, as Robbie was mentioning, like people, uh, you know, whether it's on Twitter or, you know, on other platforms in other, in other spaces, they're like, there is, um, there is a dialogue, there is a conversation that's happening amongst people from, you know, a relatively broad, relatively broad cross-section uh, cross of political stripes, not, you know, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't include absolutely, you know, it's not like there's a, pan-partisan conversation where everybody's talking about the common good that just you know that does not exist in this in this province (laughs) but there are like there is like there's this glut of people that are um that are dissatisfied and not and not happy and they're talking they're talking about their they certainly definitely talk about their dissatisfaction lots uh but you know are, are also starting to talk about like so what do we what do we do about this and so our um, our post was really aimed at sort of digging into like what does that conversation look like and what like where could it go and what could it conceivably achieve mm-hmm. um, and I think Robbie is right that um, we were very careful not to like yeah I mean it was it was it was an end run around this like idea of party mergers that always seems to come up uh, you know in conversations amongst folks that are we use the term non-conservative. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's a broad, it's a hard <laughs> tent to name properly. Um, but, you know, I mean, really what it is, is folks who, who have some inclination towards uh, defeating the UCP and Jason Kenney, however you wish to, to, to define that grouping of human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about it in terms uh, specifically of sort of activists from that pool of, uh, of humans uh, working together rather than, um, rather than parties. Because ultimately, uh, parties are competitive uh, entities and they ought to be. That's, like, that's what they're there to do. Um, and I think that you know, a lot of people, when they, when they talk about party cooperation, are sort of like are are misunderstanding what like what the role of uh, of political parties in a democracy is and, and you know parties exist to to um, provide people with different choices and different visions and different ideas about the way things go forward and that is ultimately like that is a good thing right I mean like anybody who talks about wanting to sort of uh, coalesce the left under um, you know, under one, you know, the, the quote unquote left, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's hard to, hard to know how to like, how to do that calculus, but to create basically a two party, uh, you know, uh, a battle in 2023, I think would also, um, would also acknowledge that there are inherent problems with the notion of like, I mean, you just need to look uh, at the United States of America to understand uh, what, you know, what the problems with sort of a, a bipolar uh, political uh, theater looks like and how, how problematic that can be. So, I mean, we were really sort of trying to be a bit more nuanced in terms of talking about how could individuals who uh, 
both place themselves in different political camps, but you know, many of whom also I think are largely unaligned at this point. They're dissatisfied, they're not happy, they wanna do something, they're not necessarily ready to put on a particular hat that says liberal or Alberta party or NDP or, you know, or whomever. Um, but they do, you know, they do know that they wanna see change. And a lot of sort of what we talked about was how could those folks, um, how could those folks uh, work to better drive the narrative as Robbie was talking about. Uh, and really, I think what we drilled down on was, um, uh, was that like, in order to create the conditions for a third change election in Alberta in 2023, there's a ton of work to do um, uh, because that, that, that is sort of not like you would expect that Alberta would probably go back to a sort of like hold the house keep things as they are let's you know let's vote for stability uh, after two straight change elections and there's a lot been a lot of been a lot of upheaval in alberta politics in the last uh, in the last few years and so creating the conditions where you could where you could uh, um, realize a, a third straight change election uh, and bring sufficient voters out who are disgruntled with the with the state of affairs right now is is a tremendous undertaking. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, those folks who are interested in seeing a change election happen in 2023, um, I think, you know, Robbie is right. There, there's an opportunity for those folks to work together in some informal uh, alliances and, and, you know, and understandings. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what we were trying to sort of uh, flesh out. What, what, what could something like that look like? In 2015, there was there was a push almost exactly like what you're talking about. It was definitely a groundswell mm -hmm. of people that got together on the narrative that the PCs had to go. And there was, there was no um, coalition between the Wild Rose and the Alberta Party and the NDP and the Liberals. That didn't happen. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was an organic swell of, we will get rid of this government and and it happened but how do you or i guess is that why you're kind of trying to put this out there now to say this has happened before it was successful obviously how do you recreate that kind of momentum is that um, kind of what you're hoping to answer with this I mean, no, I want to like, I want to reality check my own sort of like prescience or sort of my own uh, analysis around Alberta politics. Uh, you know, in 2015, I was completely ensconced in the NDP campaign. Okay. Uh, so I could certainly, like I was the, I was a, I was a field organizer in Calgary for the, for the NDP campaign uh, during that election. I was the only field organizer in Calgary for the NDP uh, campaign during that election. So I was completely swallowed by that, by that work. And in the, and in the lead up to um, like, we could tell like, uh, in the lead up, uh, as I was engaging in sort of pre-election organizing and recruiting uh, candidates and helping people get uh, campaigns together, like I would say things to people like, I think that this is a unique opportunity for you to run as, uh, as an NDP candidate. I think that we stand a chance of doing better than we have in a very, very long time in this election. So I could like, I could tell, like we could tell that there was, there was stuff bubbling up. Uh, most people identify the the leaders' debate about halfway through the uh, the campaign as being a real turning point in proposing this. I wasn't uh, looking back and saying this has happened before; it could happen again. Really, if if I'm honest about what I'm trying to do here, it's I am trying to grapple, from at least from my perspective, with the fact um, we've got a united. Uh, you know, right, a united conservative uh, option for people, which I mean, Kishan Kenny knew exactly what he was doing when he came back to Alberta to, to create, um, to create that party. I think this idea that like, a, there will be a single party option for, uh, for folks who want to vote against uh, the UCP in 2023 is not going to formally present itself. Uh, and so, uh, as somebody who is interested in trying to change government again in 2023, I'm basically trying to figure out end runs around how do you deal with the united right uh, as somebody who is looking to try and create change in 2023, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Robbie? Oh, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> Anybody other than Scott? <laughs> well, 
so so I, I would like to dial back the, the way back machine a little further than 2015, because when we're talking about discontentment with the government, that had been brewing for a long time. Mm-hmm. And and it was like I, I was playing in the, in the Wild Rose camp in 2012. And so mm-hmm. all the things that you were feeling in 2015, we were feeling in 2012 yeah. and we almost got it. Uh, except for this a couple close. of was close. <laughs> we almost had <laughs> Premier Smith, um, but but that, mm-hmm. I, know. I won't hold that against you. <laughs> well, I mean, I was I, I was excited for that possibility at the time too. I've obviously since changed my mind, but and and to be fair, in 2012, she she made some big leadership blunders, but she did come out in favor of same-sex marriage. She did come out in favor of climate change at yeah. the time. What, what, what are current stances now? It's like, like I, we had detractors leave the party. I got hammered um, on the street one day by a supporter who's like, I can't, I was going to vote Wild Rose, but I'm not now because she was a very social conservative woman. And it's just like, she just went up one side of me and down the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm just a door knocker. So I can imagine what the internal, like, I mean, that was, that's all I was doing at that point, but we, we were feeling it then. And so, and, and I know like Stephen Carter has talked about it on different venues about how that um, dissatisfaction with the government goes back to like, Oh, eight, Oh, six, like it's been there for a while. And so when you saw the wild rose folks disappearing out of the PCs, that was your first sign that there's a problem. And so, and, and that kind of gets to the, what was the, the rationale for our um, counter argument, I guess, mm. to yours, was that we, we weren't saying that the, the progressive voice doesn't need to have like a common drum to be beating on, yeah. um, but it's not enough because mm. as you identified it, it's like, you know, the non-conservatives. The, the problem is, is that a majority of people in Alberta, even if they aren't actually conservative, they identify- yeah. They're liberal. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a strong yeah. identity of conservatism that is in, oftentimes divorced from sort of like values that are, that are not necessarily particularly conservative. You're right. It, yeah. it's, it's a tricky needle to thread. Yeah. Well, you've got, you've got liberals in conservative clothing. You've got populists in conservative clothing. And then you have conservatives who don't realize that they're hanging out with populists and liberals. Um, and so everybody's all in this camp that they're like, we're all conservatives and now we're all united as we're seeing in the media right now, not so united anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Th- like that polling that came out is, and this, this kind of goes back to our argument is that if progressives want to win in this province, they need the right wing to sever off from the United because, um, and, and we might be seeing it. I don't know, but, uh, you know, the, there's a, definitely a lot of indicators that are pointing that way. Well, yeah, that true. most recent Angus Reid poll, which I know we're going to touch on later, but having, um, even though it's not formally established and named per se, but an Alberta independence party at 7% support. Yeah. I mean, if, if you start seeing that at 12 or 13, that opens the door for a, a further left party to win the election. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. No, and they're like I think, um, Mark, you make like you make a, a I mean a, a good point, but also an interesting point. Like I remember, like it feels like there had been. It's true, like it, and this just really speaks to like how much work goes into sowing the seeds of change. It was a very odd, but but also very telling experience in 2015 to be on the doors and talking to people who were saying. Yeah, I'm ready for a change. Uh, I'm doing it this election. I haven't made up my mind yet whether I'm voting Wild Rose or NDP. And it was just this like very like schizophrenic, like, you know, what it, I can imagine for folks who are in one of those two camps, it's like, you're what? Choosing between two, like you almost can't get further apart. But like, ultimately, it's a, it's a decision to create change. I was just going to say that is that yeah. we, the partisans, when we're banging on doors, we don't recognize that yeah. the majority of people aren't partisan, that people aren't reading through platforms. No, you know, like, whether it's 80 pages or 150 or seven, <laughs> nobody reads these things. They watch a poll. They, they, they take a look at and a poll for our Twitter people. There's our first shot, but um, they look at the polls and they go, okay, who's got the best chance of winning? Yeah. And I'm like, either voting I'm either voting for the guys I think are gonna win that I've kinda liked, or if I wanna change, 
who's got the best chance? And I saw that in both the 2014 by-election and 2015 general with Greg Clark and Elbow mm-hmm. was that, mm-hmm. you know, we ran a solid campaign in 14. We actually had a number of ministers have to come in and save Gordon Dirks because yeah. like you had, you had ministers, multiple ministers banging on doors because our numbers were, were getting too close to the PCs. We end up in a solid second place, 2014, you know, sucks. You, there's no prize for second, but we ended up with the general election six months later. Well, yeah. Now the strategy, and I know because I was the one who implemented it in Elbow was go hammer on all the wild rose doors. Not because there was an alignment of ideologies between the two parties, but they were looking for somebody to replace the government. And so it's like everybody who voted wild rose, every poll that went wild rose is where I put Greg first because Mm -hmm. I wanted them to see that the the potential winner is on their doorstep today. And, And he won. And, yeah. and, you know, that I crunched the numbers pre and said, if we can do this, this and this, we're going to win by that. And I was actually 500 votes short. Um, we actually got more votes than them. And that was just purely because people, you know, saw Greg as the winner. Didn't necessarily say they agreed with the Alberta party or they agreed with anything that we put forward. They just said, we this don't is- want a PC and this guy looks like he can win. So I'm going to vote for him. This is a change election. This is the guy that's going to achieve it here. That's who I'm voting for. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. And that's the, and that's the interesting thing I think that's going on with Alberta politics right now. I wouldn't have guessed there was going to be the level of discontentment that seems to be seems to exist right now. Um, this like this early on, we're not even like a full. Are, are we even a full year and a half out? If we're if we are, we're like just at a year and a half. Um, yeah, not quite. See, yeah, yeah I mean, not we're, quite. We were already talking about doom and gloom the night of the election because, you know, we, you know, I, as a new Democrat, come predisposed to believing that uh, Jason Kenney is terrible uh, and is going to do nothing but bad things to the province. But, you know, as we mentioned, um, I, I, am, I am the exception in, in Alberta, right? Like most people aren't thinking about this in partisan terms. Most people, as the election results uh, indicated, were very happy to give Jason Kenney an opportunity, give the UCP an opportunity. And they ran a, you know, a credit to them. They ran a great campaign that spoke to exactly who they needed to speak to. And they mm-hmm. built, they built the coalition in order to, in order to win and, and to uh, form the majority government that, that they formed. To see that fall apart as quickly as it has uh, is surprising to me, and it's interesting. And I think that there are there are real opportunities uh, for all of the other parties right now. Whether you're talking about the NDP, whether you're talking about the Alberta Party now with uh, with the uh, Wild Rose Independence Party, um, I don't know about the Liberals. The Liberals really seem to be falling off the map, but uh, you know. I, I, you know, who knows? David Kahn's a decent guy, so who, yeah. who knows? Maybe there's still lots of time left. I think probably not, but like, th- there is a there's a lot of shifting, and so um, the idea that there could be the conditions, and, and there's no like, the one sure thing in politics is that there's no search, there's no sure things. Mm. Um, so, but you know, that the idea that like it's conceivable that the, the conditions could be met to create a third change election. And what that change looks like, I'm really starting to like play with different ideas about what that could look like, um, remains to be seen, but it's like, it could happen, man. And I don't think very many people would have been expected to be seeing that this early on in this government's mandate. I think the problem for Jason Kenney is it's kind of like the Paul Martin thing. Like mm. the expectations are just so high and promise so much mm. that even if you deliver at for what another government might be a decent benchmark you've just like i mean notwithstanding covid jobs economy pipelines those things were all i mean the pipeline is not Leon trudeau's credit um he's made poor decisions elsewhere the jobs are terrible he you know played up balancing the budget and the importance of fiscal responsibility and he's now in a position where because of market forces he like his hand is forced so i i'm not really that surprised about it and he's really painted himself into a tough corner where he's going to have to pull on revenue levers and just you know talking to people in coffee shops and restaurants and stuff life is more expensive and it's not better for them 
there's not more opportunity. It's not cheaper that, I mean, they're not paying a carbon tax, but they're seeing the effects of that everywhere Yeah, else. we are, right. remember? Well, well, okay, yeah. federal carbon tax. That we have yeah. control over, but anyway, right. that's just quote, me putting our money. We're not paying in yeah. carbon tax. Yeah, we're not paying a carbon tax that the NDP created. Yeah, there we go. They're, they're paying but, two of them. But, <laughs> so, but to, to actually solidify that point, Robbie, that was one of the things I dug out of the Angus poll was uh, when you looked at you know how are people feeling about the economy right now. It was fifty-one percent said they are in a position worse than last year mm-hmm. you feel they're there and so if you're if you're somebody who went okay jason kenny is going to get a pipeline for us and he's going to get me my job back and and the which economy, most of them did i'm i'm 100 you got my ex yeah and now half of those people are going things aren't better and in fact another you know 24 percent believe that they're going to be worse in another year to come so yeah. it's like um they're they're freaking out and and this is the you know we bribe people we bribe voters with their own money and yeah. at this point they're not even feeling like they they're getting what they got bribed with it's like well, okay we'll give not. you the vote you give me my job <laughs> yeah. and it's like the, the 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 transaction hasn't been completed and now and that's that's what's breaking things down and so i i i, I give you guys the validity of that there has to be the discontentment out there. But I think some of that's being done without even the activists because, I mean, you're watching the AMA losing their mind right now yeah. and it's working because, yeah. but it's also working where it needs to work. It's not working in Calgary and Edmonton so much. It's the rural communities. When a rural community loses four doctors, it's huge. Like you lose four doctors in uh, Calgary, nobody's paying attention. There's no big cry that, oh, this medical clinic in Calgary or this, you know, or the Tom Baker lost yeah. four doctors. You don't see it. But no when Sundry loses five doctors and you got Brett Wilson coming online going, what's the big deal? Like, but it's like, <laughs> that, that's five doctors in a town of 2,500 people. Like yeah. that's, that's massive. And, well, and, and, but, the, the, but this is also where the devil in the details is, is that that, that riding of sundry is, yeah. is led by Jason Nixon, who got like 81% of the vote. Yeah. The NDP, the NDP is never going to win in sundry. Absolutely. So you need, you need that discontentment, but you need it to go on the right wing going, <laughs> let's get rid of Jason, but let's go put in a new Wild Rose MLA. Yeah, right? and, sorry, go ahead, Robbie. Well, I just think that's the difference between what Scott and I were looking at and what you and Deirdre responded with is that we're not necessarily per se saying that this is how the NDP wins again. We're saying this is how you create the conditions for a change election Mm -hmm. and the electorate will figure out who the change is. And that'll be based upon, you know, who does the best job organizing, creating narrative, that type of stuff, right? I mean, Mark went straight for as as I said, facts and figures, and I put in feels, right? Because I'm spending time, well, I'm in rural Alberta to begin with, but I also spend a lot of time attending those conservative events and because there's more of them just in my area, there really is. Mm. Like I've only attended two NDP events over mm. the last like three years. Mm. Um, there's more access. So I'm listening to more of the conservative voters and one of the things that that we, I guess, ended up between the facts, feels, and figures, what one of the things that we found was that if the far right gets shaved off of the UCP, right now it puts the NDP in the best position, which this last poll actually did show us is that the NDP, and I did go through some polls. Oh, I hope you're enjoying this, Michelle. Um, <laughs> I did go through some earlier ones because it's best to take the most recent poll that the current one uh, did before. Mm. So there are some other ones as well that I found um, between June, between June and September, they were sitting at uh, UCP was polling around 46, 46, 42, 42, 44. Uh, NDP was 36, 36, 28. That one was pretty out there and 35.5 so it was angus reed that did the next one and the ucp lost six percent support from the last angus reed and the ndp did gain two percent from the last angus reed so a little bit of support did move there 
yes, we expected obviously that when you're when you're pissing off rural voters, they're not necessarily going, okay, now we're going to go NDP. They're yeah. looking at Wild Rose Independence or because they weren't even mentioned in that last poll because they weren't on the ballot. So I think that's where some of that Alberta Independence Party picked yeah. up some of that vote. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mark, yeah. And that's, that's the, like, that is the needle to thread. Like as I was going through um, scenarios last night in my head is like, I'm, like I can see, so I could see, you know, in tw- and this is how we spend our time is the yeah. scenarios going through our heads are what does that vote turnout yeah, look like? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and like, I've like, got a spreadsheet if you want. You don't even have to do it in your head. You just do it in a spreadsheet. So. I prefer to do it in my in my head uh, because then I can then I can then, okay, then I can then I can uh, I can insert uh, you know my own fantasies into the and I don't have to quantify them. Um, but it's also worth noting that like I mean, we are more than two and a half years out here. There's still lots of time. Uh, you know, I agree, Robbie, that uh, it is not surprising to see. Uh, the, the drop in support and sort of the discontent that has happened given given the actions of this government. Um, you know, particularly like, I mean, Mark nails it on the head in terms of like the, the failure to, to make good on economic promises, which is like, that was the cornerstone of, of what they what they won on. On top of that, to then go and like pick these fights and to like and to like to to engage in scenarios so i you know in in going through the angus reed poll and and there's a there's a think hq poll that paints a slightly less rosy picture for the ndp that braid uh, don braid mentioned in his last uh, column um you know where people are like on top of like feeling like they're not you know that that the the jason kenny is not delivering on the economic promises that he said that he was going to they're also you know uh, you know as as was mentioned like not happy about the fact that we're in you know the middle of a protracted fight with doctors and they're really worried about their kids and you know and they, they, it's like well, like there's all these like you know uh, you know self-owned goals uh that the NDD or that the UCP is scoring against themselves where it's like why like I don't I get it and I don't get it it's like I get like I get the idea that like you like, I mean, so a lot of what's happening with healthcare was in their platform. Like they're, they're making, you know, maybe this is another like duping voters by actually doing what you say you're going to do uh, <laughs> moment from, you know, from Derek Fildebrand. Uh, but like the, the, you know, even, <laughs> even taking that into consideration. Okay. So it was in their platform, but it's like, like read the room. Like, is this the, like, is this the right a time B way to go about this? Like this is a scorched earth policy that is doing you, yeah no no good like i mean as i was going through yeah, like seats and stuff and you know the challenge for the NDP is you know okay you hold edmonton you get you know you get maddie's seat back uh you hold on to st albert maybe you pick up a couple of those quote-unquote donut seats uh you know that we had last time around that we weren't able to hold on to um you know then where do you go well you head into calgary uh and the you know the problem here is that like battleground calgary becomes battleground for everybody calgary and yeah. if we're ultimately just carving out calgary then you're you're really gonna wind up with ultimately a weakened ucp majority uh, but it'll still be a UCP majority. So, you know, figuring out what you do in, uh, in, in rural Alberta is, is key. And that's, you know, I mean, look, we, I don't want to say that it is impossible for the NDP to win rural seats. It also depends on how you define like what's rural and what's not rural. So like you get like some quote unquote urban ridings. So something like a Banff Kananaskis that I think it's entirely you know, conceivable that the NDP could pick up again, mm-hmm. where you've got some urban centers and then some sort of rural sections. Do you consider Lethbridge East to be rural? Probably not because nobody considers Lethbridge to be rural, but that's another, another option. Unless you're the government of Alberta. Everything that's outside right. of Edmonton is rural. Um, uh, but you know, but like, so Banff, Kananaskis, Lethbridge East, you know, we can pick up again, hold on to Lethbridge West with Shannon Phillips. 
pick up Banff Kananaskis, you probably like there's room to like grab another like four seats in Calgary, maybe, you know, you go back to those ones that were really tight. So Calgary Curry, uh, Calgary Varsity, Calgary Falcon Ridge were all super, super tight races. It gets harder to see after that, like maybe a Calgary Klein could be on the, you know, on the table. Uh, I would only drop Calgary Acadia into the mix uh, because of like what a, like what a dumpster fire Tyler Shandro has been. <laughs> Uh, like almost from start to finish and also sometimes there's gifts does that like does that does that cash out in terms of an NDP win there's no I mean who knows that could wind up being an Alberta party win but like does the Alberta party have the chops to go in and like sure the Wild Rose Independence is going to go and do some interesting things I think particularly in Deirdre you'd be able to speak to this better in southern Alberta yeah, oh yeah and, you know where there's like that, that really strong social conservatism um that is a you know is a nat- they're a natural home for that but like in those other like as you move into sort of more um you know what somebody from calgary will call central alberta which isn't actually central alberta because edmonton is central alberta <laughs> there's that whole fort mcmurray section you know, there's that whole there. northern part of that's alberta. right the actual <laughs> northern alberta yeah <laughs> Um, but like, does the Alberta party have the chops to go in and contend for those seats? Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, you know, I mean, the NDP will run candidates there and they will run, I mean, the one thing that we did well in 2019, uh, is like, we had a pretty decent ground game, certainly as compared to what the ground game looked like in 2015, mm-hmm. where, you know, where we won a majority, um, uh, uh, government but like going back and winning back some of those seats man that's a multi-cycle uh project right like trying to like go and run in like you know win in red deer and run you know run and win in uh, athabasca sturgeon uh redwater and and places like that like that's just like there like there's interesting potentials there based on the fact that we were able to win there in 2015 but to say that we were going to like after getting you know going through a wave election in 2019 and then coming back in 2023 and being like you know I just don't I can see I can see a path back to like 35 36 if I'm really feeling optimistic seats for the NDP that where it's like a credible path mm-hmm. um and then after that, it's like where my head has started to turn is like, like what could be the conditions for like a minority government in, in Alberta? And what could that look like? Uh, and uh, I, have, I have gotten very interested in the notion of like, could you create the conditions whereby you have a minority NDP government with a UCP opposition, strong UCP opposition, balance of power with the Alberta party and like a few wild rose seats thrown in there uh, because, uh, you know, there's particular, for that to happen, there has to be a high level of discontent. Um, And that's like, that is to me an intriguing uh, possibility because I think that could be a, that could be a good government. I think we can do a lot of good things with that formulation. of With proportional representation. Um. (laughs) Well, that would be the, you know, yeah, uh, that that would be the way to get there, but we're not there yet. So can we, can we create it such that like there's, there's the the appetite for such a coalition government to do proportional representation? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think too, um, again, going back to, to the 2019 campaign, you know, as, as much as we can all say, that the UCP and Jason Kenney ran a fantastic campaign. They were very clear jobs, economy, pipelines. But when you put all of your eggs into that basket, and yes, no one saw a pandemic happening, but all of his eggs were in that basket, nothing else. No one expected him to do well with education or health Mm. other than cut. I mean, that's what, yep, they were going to cut it all down. The problem is that when the pandemic hit, health and education became the most important things to Albertans. Yes, Mm -hmm. jobs, economy, and pipelines are still important, but suddenly that health and education factor became more important than it had been. So when you've campaigned that the only things that you are going to do is cut these things that people didn't need or didn't think they needed in 2019 um, and deliver on things that people wanted in 2019, but you cannot deliver on because the landscape has changed so much. I don't think there's anything that this government can actually do to make that better because they didn't have another narrative. 
their narrative was jobs economy pipelines. People bought into jobs economy pipelines. It's very obvious that this government cannot deliver jobs economy. Well, and the pipeline had nothing but, to do with them anyway. But they're, they're, they're going to blame the pandemic in two years on why they weren't being able. And so give us another mandate because we can fix this. Yeah. yeah. But do you think, and, but do you think that it'll and, go? Oh, well, totally, because this, conservatives generally are seen as the, the stalwarts of the economy. And so when yeah. things are good, you lean to the progressives to fix social programs. And when things are bad, you lean to the conservatives to fix the economy. Which is yeah. completely, it, okay. It's, it's not necessarily right, but again, we're all the partisans who know these facts and figures right. and reality. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter. The average bear out there who's yeah. voting... When, when you've got somebody going, we're on the bat, we're supporting uh, nurses and uh, teachers and doctors. Okay, great, but I don't have a job. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but they're still not that, going to have a job. Chance, but, chances are they're not going to be better off. But I'm telling you, in 2023, that's going to be the UCP. We, we needed more than four years because we had a pandemic and, oh, the mess that Rachel left us. Um, we're, we need another four years. That's our, that is going to be their campaign. Yeah. Is, yeah, yeah. As soon as, like, it, I, I'm sure I mean, it will be. Yeah, you can see it already. Jason Kenney is now calling it the pa- the uh, the pandemic recession or the COVID recession. Like mm. we <laughs> were headed for a recession before COVID hit, and they dropped the budget like days before lockdown. It was and, like wildly out to lunch. Well, and like, and to do something that is like totally out of character for me and, and to like, to be fair to Jason Kenny for a moment, right? Like, <laughs> uh, or, well, I've given Jason Kenny credit before, but like, I mean, the, like that narrative is like not entirely false either. Right. Like, I mean, I mean, I, look, I'll argue about the, the quote unquote mess that Rachel Notley left us in. Right. Uh, and I don't think the I don't think the data bears that one. Out. Yes, they're going to say it. But like to for them to say, like, look, like we had every intention of coming in and fixing the economy. And then, you know, uh, less than a year after we took government, just as we were really starting to rev up, boom, COVID. And suddenly we're, we're hamstrung. It's like that's like. I wouldn't want to be government in the middle of a global pandemic trying no. to figure out what to do about the, about the economy. Like they, like this is, this is legitimately a very difficult situation to be in. Is there any government that is doing well right now? There are governments that are doing less bad. Um, the, NDP, the NDP or pardon me, the PCs in New Brunswick apparently are doing well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And actually, the um, BC, but, the BC but, but NDP. I would argue BC NDP is doing well yeah. too. But, but but this is this is this is the root of like people get into politics and they think it's like oh, it's just going to be the easy decisions. I'll decide who gets cut and I'll decide what taxes get handed out and I get to scratch everybody's back and they scratch mine. And I get reelected and I get the salary and I don't do a whole. Lot. They don't. Most people running don't realize that this is the reality of governing. Is that you're going to get a shitty situation and then we're, everyone's going to look at you to be the leader and you have to do leader type things and, <laughs> <Fix it. laughs> and, and hiding under your desk and blaming somebody else is not a solution. Yeah. And, well, and, and that's, and that's, and I mean, you've seen the same thing down the states. like Trump is hiding under his desk and people are, and, and they go like every president has had a, catastrophe to deal with in some capacity whether it's obama having to come in and fix the economy or george bush having to deal with katrina or whatever like they have them and they they have those moments and this is jason's and this is this ucp government's it's what are you guys doing to actually tackle because you you guys had this perfect scenario that we'd have hundred dollar oil and the only problem we've got is a pipeline and so i'll just scream at justin until i get a pipeline and then everything will be wonderful and we'll we'll govern for 40 years this is their moment of crisis. This is their yeah. moment of a leadership test, and they are failing it six ways from Sunday. Miserably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, I think I that say, I like, think average people notice that, or yeah, average voters, right? And I, that's I where agree. that's where that's where that partisan slash um, people who only tune in for for election time. That's where we start to merge a little bit. Is when when it's so bad that we're not the only ones talking about it when it's mm-hmm. so bad that everyone is actually noticing and saying, you know, this is not good. And, you know, exactly like, 
uh, it wasn't Don Braid. It was, oh, it was Rick Bell. Um, he was actually saying as well that, you know, people going back to school. And I think uh, actually the strategist did an episode on this as well. Their kids are going back to school and parents are scared. Parents are worried for their children. Parents are worried for their children bringing home something that could affect them. Parents are scared right now. And when you put, you know, if there's 750,000 students in Alberta, how many parents do you have <laughs> for a little, you know, let's go back to school with that. There's a lot of parents. And if you scare a lot of parents, that's going to come out of your support. Yeah. Well, and I mean, saying that the, like the NDP and BC is doing well, like, I mean, is, is like ultimately really to say that John Horgan and that government appear to be acting in a responsible fashion, that they are empathetic, oh, right. that they are doing the right thing. Right? Yeah. Their numbers and are pretty big, actually. They're, they're gigantic. I mean, they're going to, they're going to go, when, I, I would argue that whenever they go to election, that's a, that's a majority government, uh, you know, with, without a whole lot of what'll be interesting to see in BC, not that we, you know, we're supposed to be spending time talking about BC, but is like, uh, can John Horgan and the NDP uh, credibly break into the interior of British Columbia, which has always been sort of like the the, the challenge for the NDP. They can, you know, they the can conservatives in liberal clothing. They can, they can, they can uh, yeah, they can, well, and they can win, uh, you know, in, in the lower mainland. But then once you start to head into the interior of British Columbia, it becomes very, very difficult for them. Um, that's where... Robbie's you know, still saying they're, nope. They're <laughs> that's not going to win. Uh, well, who knows? Well, they're they're going to win a majority, but that's where I was born and raised is the interior of BC. And it's, um, you know, kind of Kamloops, Williams Lake up to the northeast. Yeah. That's conservative heartland for BC, right? So. Yeah, totally. I remember I remember actually touring through that part of, of British Columbia because I lived in BC for 30 years before uh, moving to Alberta on a, like a voter engagement campaign that I was on. And I remember people in, uh, in northeastern, particularly British Columbia, telling me, we are more Albertan than we are British Columbian. Um, which is like is a is a real is a real thing, but uh, yeah, I mean, like, uh, but uh, you know, the, the, it's, all, it's all it's all oil patch up there. Yeah, Fort yeah. St. John, Dawson Creek, Fort Nelson. That that that's uh, that's your gas pocket all the way up in northern. That that they they don't see themselves as uh, BC. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, but they're like, I mean, I think that all of this points to some, like some very, it'll be an interesting couple of years here to have, because obviously, you know, from an NDP perspective, uh, the challenge that we had in 2019 is that 2019 was all about the economy and had nothing to do with healthcare uh, and education. And healthcare and education, are, that's our wheelhouse, man. That's where that's where we that's that's where we're the strongest. Uh, and so, you know, we went in and tried to fight a battle on based on Jason Kenney's social uh, stances and, and social values, uh, and tried to do an end run around the economy, and that went over like a Led Zeppelin. Um, now, where you've got a situation where I mean I still think ultimately uh, that like I I think that people in that Angus Reid poll who are saying I feel worse off than I was uh, a year ago and I predict I'm going to be even worse off a year from now mm -hmm. I don't know that they're incorrect about that uh, I like I I mean I understand they're not crunching numbers and looking at data and stuff like that but from like a gut analysis perspective there, there's not, uh, you know, not inconsiderable reason to, to think, to be pessimistic about what things are going to look like a, a year from now. Mm -hmm. um, I still, you know, I think uh, regardless of what things look like in 2023, the economy is still going to be the number one factor. Um, but that, that, that there's a, a leveling of the playing field that has happened around uh, you know the importance and the amount of attention that people are paying to things like healthcare and, and paying to education, and some of those other um, you know, some of those other issues um, that we just couldn't get any traction on last year. It, you know, it presents uh, an interesting opportunity. You know, I mean, I think, but you know, for a lot of parties, I mean, certainly I'm looking at it from the NDP's perspective, but I think there's also an opportunity for the Alberta Party. I don't really care what the opportunities are for the, the Wild Rose independents other than like <laughs> they should go and do their thing and do it as hard as they can and peel off as many seats as they possibly can and Godspeed to them. Um, 
but uh but like there's there's you know i think like i go back to the drum that max fawcett has been beating uh for a number of months now around like the thing that the ndp really needs to do a better job of is like we just can't take a pass on the economy we know what that looks like um and i have i will say that i've been heartened to see some of the like a some of the consistency and messaging that has started to seem to sort of like come up from the NDP where we're not like we're not magpieing anymore to uh, or as much at any rate as we were uh, chasing you know this scandal and that scandal we, we you know we seem to have honed in on you know the fight with doctors is hurting them uh, you know the lack of a plan around reentry into schools in September is hurting them and the economy is hurting. And so um, we're still in the like, we want to try and help hurt them. Um, we ultimately need to turn the corner and, uh, and talk about like, so here's how things will be better under us and why you should right. vote for us and why, and why that's believable. And that, that has to, it has to contain an economic component. We have mm -hmm. to be able to talk about that. I think that's um, really crucial. And, but leverage your, like the NDP's strengths, right? Frame education and healthcare in terms of economic opportunity, right? And take a, like, use COVID as that lens. Yeah. You know, how do we get the economy going in the context of COVID? We make sure schools are safe. We make sure we have good healthcare, right? And well, even the affordable healthcare or affordable childcare can be framed that way, right? As an economic yeah, you, good. You, you, you got to speak the language of the people, not not the language that you're used to using. And I, I was doing this with the Greens when I was in rural Saskatchewan was that, you know, you don't talk about climate change because when people get up in the morning, the sky is blue. So you're full of shit. There, there is no climate change. Uh, but if you talk about clean water, mm -hmm. clean soil, clean air, that, now you're talking things that farmers care about. So it's like if 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 the soil isn't good and the water isn't good, then I don't have good crops. Now climate change is important, but don't tell me it's because the sky. Like, oh, we've got uh, we've got a situation where the air isn't breathable. It's like, dude, the only thing you're coughing on right now is wheat chaff uh, from the combines. Like, it's yeah. there. There's not that. It's not the same message. And so, uh, if the NDP is going to have any chance, they're going to have to start speaking their issues in economic terms, so that the 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 conservatives move that way because right now, and that was the other thing that the polling was saying is that um, the UCP isn't necessarily looking at the NDP. Like those people who voted UCP yeah. in 2019 are not looking at the NDP. And the part of it is, is it's, they've been demonized by the NDP yeah. and you still see it on Twitter. Yeah. It's like, if you voted for these guys, you're an asshole. Yeah. And it's like, Whoa, hang on. Like, who are you to judge me? And two, maybe I had a reason like, yeah, I don't want my uh, an eight-hour waiting time, and I don't want 40 kids in my kids' uh, school, whether COVID or not, but um, I'm unemployed, and I have been for yeah. two years, yeah. and so <laughs> don't, yeah. don't judge me on my personal issues, and, and that's that's where um, I see the NDP, you know, and it's the activists. I wouldn't say, like, I'd agree. I'd see, I'm seeing less things on fire from Central, but the activists are still going after any, any and. The yeah. green do the Alberta same thing. Party, it's stop true. being babies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, oh, God, Mike Moore. Yeah. Mike's. I, I didn't say it, but I know but you that's didn't. Not, that's not how you win friends. <clears throat> it's it's, it's true. And it's not like, and it's not how you show. I mean, you know, another thing that I think that Jason Kenney and this government have uh, demonstrated a complete lack of, uh, that this uh, behavior also uh, demonstrates a complete lack of, is empathy, right? Like understanding where people are coming from and understanding the situations that they are dealing with. And then being able to speak to them on those terms is like understanding where they're at and making people feel heard and seen and like you're going to do something uh, that is going to benefit their their lives. And that that's what, you know, uh, that's what creates that emotional connection such that they actually come over and make a decision to, to vote for you. And yeah, no, progressives are great at uh, pointing our guns down and shooting ourselves in the foot. We, I mean, we have got that. <laughs> Conservatives um, are good too, just not as many people pay attention. It's, it's true. It's true. Uh, you know, uh, I want conservatives to keep doing it and I want you know, progressives to, to stop doing <laughs> so, yeah. it.
so that's a drum that I have been beating, uh, you know, for a while since I sort of like decided to get active on Twitter uh, late last year and sort of say like, look, like, like stop. These are the people that we need to win over. Right. Talk, like, some of them. And like, and there's, there's a distinction to be made, right? Like a hardcore UCP supporter who is perfectly happy with what is going on in the province right now. You can cut bait on that person. You're never going to win them over. Yeah. Um, you know, whether, and frankly, whether you're doing it from the NDP, whether you're doing it from the Alberta party, whether you're doing it from the liberals, you ain't getting that vote. So stop trying to get it. Mm -hmm. But like understanding like those folks who, as Mark said, you know, we're looking at 2019 and going like, yeah, like healthcare is important. And I, you know, sure. I like, you know, I don't uh, wish any ill upon the queer community and I don't like racism either, but like, man, I gotta pay my mortgage. That is job number one right now. I got to put yeah. food on my plate, on my on my plate, and my kids' plates, and uh, I'm going to vote for the people that say they're going to help me to be able to do that. And there are more of those people, I would argue, than uh, than progressive activists oftentimes give credit. Right, like a lot of the UCP vote, and you know, I went back and I did a post where I looked at. Um, how well Jason Kenney and the UCP spoke to those folks, both in the lead up to 2019 and during the campaign. They did an excellent job of speaking to those quote unquote moderate voters uh, who identify as conservative, but hold relatively moderate uh, uh, values. Uh, and Jason Kenney like sang their tune to like almost to perfection, frankly. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we need to figure out how we're going to talk to those folks. If we keep demonizing them and we, and we, and we don't talk to them, uh, we're never going to win. Uh, and ultimately, in politics, winning is the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it won't be a change election if, um, if you know, you, you surrender 30 seats because, you know, you, you, you'd rather be right and demonize conservatives at, with a big brush because mm. that's the that's the thing I see with the the activists, uh, the progressive activists. It's like all you conservatives are the same. You're all a bunch of racist, blah blah blah. And it's like, oh well, we're as nuanced as you guys on the left, but mm-hmm. um, you sure sure not making me feel comfortable even considering orange as a color. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it, like if we really went into the duality of a U.S. system where it's NDP, UCP, nobody else on the ballot, I can tell you right now, I probably wouldn't vote. Mm. Yeah, because the UCP be is not in alignment with me as a small C conservative, but the NDP sure as hell hasn't made me feel friendly and yeah. and and yeah. welcome. And it's like, look, hey, we would love to earn your uh, trust and earn those things. I, I'm I'm getting purity tested. So you call yourself a conservative, so you're therefore an asshole, and we don't want you. It's like it's like I'm I'm not the Alan Huntsberger conservatives. So yeah, yeah. stop treating me like that. So yeah. yeah. That's a great point. And, 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 and a majority of Albertans, as we said earlier, see themselves in the small C camp. Whether they are or not is, is irrelevant. It's, they, they see themselves that they do. So, yeah. And, and going and, and calling you, people like that fascist sympathizers is not a way to get them to yeah. sign. Ooh, ooh, yeah. I got called a totalitarian, a totalitarian yesterday. <laughs> oh, well then you get you get that badge you can store that on your on your sash <laughs> on your political uh alberta politics badge mm-hmm. that's fantastic you, yeah. you're gonna need a little red beret <laughs> <laughs> so any final any final thoughts on i guess i mean what i've gotten from this so far is uh there's there's a lot of work to be done on messaging there's a lot of work to do on actually making voters feel welcome now Mm. at the same time you know making voters feel welcome most most voters aren't coming anywhere near your party anyway they don't care who your party is Mm. they will be nowhere near it they're not going to buy a membership they're not going to show up at a meeting and they're not looking for your day your newsletters or anything so you know one of the things um you know the simplicity of the message Absolutely, but we see how that can shoot you in the foot if you're Jason Kenney. Um, because if you, only look at, if you only look at two things, three things, then that's all people are looking for you to deliver. If you can't deliver on those, it's really noticeable. And I guess, like, yes, the polarization that we have right now is really difficult, uh, but keeps things interesting, you know, for the rest of us. 
like interesting, think, horrible, stressful. I think like what I take, like, given the genesis of this conversation, which was sort of like a compare and contrast of the piece that Robbie and I wrote and the piece that you and Mark wrote is that like, ultimately where I've come to is like, we're kind of, I think both right, frankly. Oh, we, um, I, yeah, I think, we probably are. <laughs> like, I think that like, ultimately, like we've talked through how, um, you know, part of changing government uh, in this province is about spending a lot of time and a lot of effort and being very intentional about uh, sowing seeds of discontent with the current government and creating the appetite for change. And I think that there, I think that there are lots of mutual uh opportunities for you know whether you're talking ndp or liberal or alberta party uh for folks to continue beating that drum uh and continue uh you know particularly as i i remain convinced and i could be proven wrong i keep saying this and then the next thing comes out and i'm proven wrong but at some point uh you know jason kenny and the ucp are going to start to to um, you know, woo voters rather than smack them around, uh, and those numbers are going to start to uh, get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, the job uh, of folks who are interested in trying to change government is that they need to they need to combat that. They need to keep people feeling discontented and frustrated, and like they like they want uh, to change. And that benefits the NDP. That benefits the Alberta Party. That benefits everybody except for uh, the UCP. But it's like, it's just, I mean, you guys identified very well. It's just a very tough needle to thread, uh, particularly figuring out what to do in rural Alberta. And the more that I think about it, the more I think that like, that the key is like figuring out how to refract, you know, it's, well, I'm, it's how to refracture politics in, uh, in, in Alberta, in the sense that like there need to be multiple options out there so that, uh, you know, votes go in a couple of different directions. Um, because as Mark, uh, I mean, I think that we, for all intents and purposes in 2019, had uh, most of what a two-party election is going to look like. Uh, and we saw what the outcome was. So that ain't going to work. Um, so this idea of like folding everybody, you know, folding the Alberta Party, folding the Liberals, folding the Greens into and the NDP into one tent, I don't think it'll actually work. I think it'll backfire. Um, and rather, we need like votes splitting off so that like we get some, you know, we get some Alberta Party seats uh, in the legislature, and we get uh, some uh, Wild Rose Independent seats, and uh, and we see sort of like a change in government probably looks more like some sort of um, some sort of minority formulation, uh, which I think would be really healthy for the province and could be good and could be really interesting. And like I say, uh, I think that a, a, an NDP government with a, an Alberta party uh, balance of power could do some really great things for this province, some really interesting things. And they showed when Greg and Karen and Rick were MLAs that they can work together too, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. and the NDP was willing to listen where the UCP granted it's just the two of them, but the UCP just has been uncompromising. And so, you know, I think it's been bad for democracy overall and bad for bad for good public policy outcomes. Obviously. And, and so, yeah, and with me, what I'm seeing through all this is that I'm not arguing that the messaging's out there and I think it's being delivered and it's being delivered by the right people at this point. Like you got teachers and doctors and nurses and public officials, the, the people who don't necessarily have any skin in the game of like, we're not electing, like the AMA is not a party. So they, they're, they're not worried about um, forming the next government. They are just concerned about Albertans. That's the right message from the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, but the emphasis is still on the political parties that don't have UCP as branding to get themselves ready because when that opportunity is there, Deirdre, you're right. Nobody wants to buy a membership uh, today, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they might in a year, and they might. And you can't be in a situation where, oh, well, we don't have anybody there. We don't have like the NDP is going to have to figure out a rural strategy. The Alberta mm-hmm. Party is going to have to rebuild and run mm-hmm. their leadership race. The, the Wild Rose is going to do the same thing. They're going to have to create an entity. They're going to have to have a leadership race because there there is chances for like easily. I can think of a half dozen seats that the uh, the wild rose can get elected in and should get elected in yeah. because they they know how to do this stuff they're good at it like the 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 hardcore activists that are in that conservative camp lean that way and so 
give them a half dozen seats, give the Alberta party a half dozen seats. There are places they can win, but, but, and you know, if it's an NDP prop government, then so be it. I mean, we'll see what happens. And, you know, maybe we put proportional representation on the plate and Hey, heaven forbid the conservative hotbed is the first one to actually put this into effect uh, nationwide. But, (laughs) but I mean, it's, yeah, but it's one of those things where we're going to have to always be okay with, you know, seven or eight, people sitting in the legislature much like the the block on the federal side of things who are like my goal sitting here is to get the rest of the review out of here because i want our own country yeah or i want to be the 51st state depending on which marketing scheme they're going with this week but Mm. yeah well and i think like that like um another piece that i wrote i know we're going over time so i'll uh, shut up quickly um is that like that that, uh, that competition between the parties, um, you know, in the same way that like there was this big competition uh, between the Liberals and the NDP federally in 2015, really sort of like drove, uh, drove the narrative of that election into a change election. That competition uh, and those, you know, those, the various parties sort of tooling up their operations and putting together strategies and working really hard to engage voters and raise as much money as they possibly can. People often think of that as like being counterproductive. I disagree. I think that like that fuels the the sense that there is a need for change or it certainly can fuel the sense that there is a need for change uh, and that competition can be helpful in terms of amping up expectations and amping up the idea that there not only is there the appetite for change but there are options for people's votes that are not the UCP that could be effective where it's not votes wasted. You know, when they see, you know, uh, candidates are, are in place in, uh, you know, in, in writings, that fundraising is good, that it looks like a, you know, a strong, healthy uh, option for, for their vote, they will actually consider, I mean, that's what's been, what had been missing in Alberta for so long prior to sort of the very close um, uh, uh, opportunity that Wild Rose had in 2012. And then ultimately the, the opportunity that the, uh, NDP was able to capitalize on in 2015 um, with some vote splitting was like, the, you know, people would go like, sure, I don't like the PCs, but who the hell else am I going to vote for? And like the mm-hmm. rest of these folks are, 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 are clown parties, man. So the party has got to be able to go and present themselves as real viable opportunities. And I think that that, you know, that can all culminate in an interesting 2023 election. I'd agree. Awesome. Well, thank you everyone. And I'll get on editing this. <laughs> Did you guys want to say goodbye or anything before I hit stop record? <laughs> I've already talked too much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us for another episode of Political R&D. Don't forget to give us a rating on iTunes and Google Play, and please consider subscribing on Patreon for early access to episodes and more at Political R&D. Thank you.